Good morning, Grace Orange. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're going to see something today about the apostles. They were doing something that is counterintuitive. They were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. They got to suffer for Jesus. They didn't have to suffer for Jesus. They got to suffer for Jesus. It was a privilege to them. And we're going to see today that Jesus blesses his people with joy in suffering. As Paul said, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We can rejoice in suffering because following Jesus involves both joy and suffering. And Jesus gives us joy in suffering. Now, with everything going on in the world today, we've got terrorist crisis all over the place. We've got Paris, we've got Mali, we've got threats in Brussels, and, and it seems like everywhere else in the world, it would be very easy for a lot of us to be very uneasy and very anxious even and fearful about what might come next. And then you pile everything that causes stress in your life into that, and you, and you know you know more than anyone else except for God the things you're going through. Someone may say to you, oh, but what you're going through, it's not that big a deal. Well, it is to you. And so, and even in America, we go from the, the tragic to the trivial. We've got, what do we have, red cup controversies going on? Is that right? But here's the deal. God knows, God knows what we need this morning. He knows what's on your heart. And he knows that we need to sit under the authoritative word of God and to worship God and to, to realign our hearts to fear his name. And, and with all the thoughts running through your head this morning, all the things that are coming upon your heart as a burden, the Holy Spirit can sort it all out. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to stand with me as I'm going to read God's Word, and I'm going to read a lot of verses today. I'm going to read Acts chapter 5 from verse 12 all the way to verse 42. We are, if you're new to Grace Orange, we are committed to the public reading of Scripture. And we are convinced that we are to do this because the Bible says we should do it, to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. And we firmly believe there is power in the Word of God. It is how we grow in Christ, and the Holy Spirit powerfully works in our hearts, transforming us, changing us. And when you grasp the message of the Word of God, your worldview changes. Your worldview becomes aligned with God, and, and there you have God's wisdom to navigate life. So this is important for us to read the word first. So we'll start at verse 12. This is the word of God. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. People also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. 
But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For behold, before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. All who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, all we can say is, wow. Wow, you are so awesome. Lord, we have seen wonderful things in your word. Lord, I pray that you would teach us your ways, that we would walk in your truth, and that you would unite our hearts to fear your name for your glory. Amen. Please take a seat. Seriously, it's like, wow, wow, wow. It's like God did something so amazing here. And I guess the question is, would you rejoice if you were beaten and you were threatened for your faith in Christ? Would you rejoice if you were beaten and threatened for your faith in Christ? That's what they did. That's what we see happening here. It's after Ananias and Sapphira die, more persecution breaks out, and the apostles literally risk their lives for Jesus and the gospel. And you really got to ask yourself this. What made them so bold? What made them so strong and bold to do that? I think the knee-jerk reaction for a lot of us is to say, well, hey, they were super disciples. They were Bible people. Of course they're going to do that. They're apostles. That's their job. If you, if you think like I do, you'd be thinking that. But Jesus told us, you will do greater things than these. You will do greater things. But we say, no, 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 they were a cut above us. They're better than us. They're super spiritual disciples doing far more than we could ever dream or imagine. And I think even for American Christians, it's very easy to think that way. 
If you're thinking that way at all, those are the kind of thoughts that run through my head as well. How could they rejoice in suffering? Now, they knew something that we need to know, that Jesus blesses his people with joy in the midst of suffering, that following Jesus involves joy and suffering, and that following Jesus, you get joy in the midst of suffering. That's what Jesus blesses you with. How could they rejoice? How could they be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as Paul says? Sorrowful, you're not stopping being sorrowful, but you're always rejoicing at the same time. How can you be both at the same time? Now you break down this passage and what we see here, first and foremost, right off the bat, is a summary statement of what happened as a result of God purifying his church. What happened? after God purified his church by striking Ananias and Sapphira down dead. And then what you see, this starts at verse 17, very clearly the reality of persecution. It is real. Christians experience it in one form or another. Anyone who desires to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution, and that is not a one-time occurrence. That is something that will happen as time goes on and you follow Christ. But right away you see a rescue from God. God rescues his people. He provides a rescue. And then you see them risking once again proclaiming the gospel. They, they do it again. And then, most notably, you see they're rejoicing. They're, they're rejoicing because they're counted worthy of suffering for the name. First look with me at this summary statement. It's found in verses 12 through 16. The result of God purifying his church Verse 12 tells us, this is a summary statement, many signs and wonders were being done amongst the people by the hands of the apostles. A lot of amazing things were being done. God was, was doing these things, and he was using the apostles as his tools. And they were all together in the Solomon's portico, and this place in the temple where there's a huge outdoor colonnade area, Literally thousands upon thousands of believers doing this. You look at verse 13, though, and it tells you that none of the other people, the unbelievers, wanted to join this church. I mean, would you want to join the church that people were dropping dead for lying? Like, hey, I'm not going to the first church of Jerusalem. Uh, people are dying over there. I'm going to go down the road a bit. Find me another church. What? Oh, that's the only one? Well, I'm not going there. People are dropping dead for lying. It's a dangerous place. So none of the rest dared to join them, but they held them in high esteem. They respected them. They, well, wouldn't you? I mean, hey, you're a part of a group where God strikes people down dead for lying? Wow. People are hearing about Ananias and Sapphira. They're greatly respecting the Christians, but they're fearful. They don't want to be part of this group. The believers are hearing the word, they're gathering, they're worshiping, they're fellowshipping, and the unbelievers are afraid to join in on the meetings. Maybe they're figuring out what, what everybody needs to realize, that anything less than full allegiance to Jesus isn't really following Christ. Maybe they're realizing, hey, in that time, anything less than full allegiance might mean that I might die too. I mean, who's going to join a church where people are dropping dead for lying well here's the crazy thing it says that more and more people were added to the church more and more believers more than ever verse 14 more than ever we've gone now from 120 to 3,000 to over 10 to 15,000 people men women boys and girls they're in this church and it says verse 14 more than ever people are being added to the church this is a big church. That's why they're meeting from house to house. But get this, they don't want to be a part of that group, but God keeps putting people into the group. And it tells us something very important. Jesus builds his church. It will not be because we have these magnetic personalities or we serve really, really good coffee or we're just so inviting or we're so winsome it's going to be because Jesus saves 
those whom he's chosen. He's the redeemer of lost people. We have to grasp this truth. Jesus grows his own church. You don't grow Jesus' church. He grows his own. God's the one who adds people to his church. He's the one who said he'll build his church. He's the head of the church. Jesus is the savior of souls. He's the redeemer of the lost. And it won't be because we are, are, are so perfect in the way we try to draw people to hang out with us. Jesus said it very clearly in John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I don't know about you, but I was really thirsty yesterday. It was a very hot and dry day. Jesus says, you're never going to thirst. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. And he says that many of them have seen him and don't believe. But he says in verse 13 of John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I've said this many times before. If you want Jesus in your life, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you will be a follower of Christ. Jesus does not cast out anyone who comes to him in faith. He says in verse 38, I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me. Raise it up on the last day. If you're a believer in Christ, you are safe in Christ. You are secure in Christ. Verse 40, he says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is our hope in Christ. John 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He's talking about being the good shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus has the kung fu grip on you if you're a believer. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. The father's got the kung fu grip too. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He says in John 12, verse 32, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, he's talking about going to the cross. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Anybody who comes to faith in Christ is secure in Christ because Christ chose him. So all these people are coming to faith in Christ because God's growing his church even though the unbelievers were saying, we don't want to be a part of that church. Verse 15 says they even carried the sick out in the streets on cots, on mats, because they wanted Peter's shadow to fall on them. Sounds a little weird, right? Because it is. Back in those days, they had a very weird superstition that if, if your shadow fell on someone, it had power spiritually, either for good or evil, whether you were good or evil. So they're thinking, if Peter's shadow falls on me, I'll get healed. So very superstitious ideas. Peter didn't believe that. The apostles weren't going with that. Luke doesn't go with that. If you're healed, you're healed by the mercy of God. If you are healed, if you experience healing, it's because God in his mercy has seen fit to heal you. And he, may have, he may do it through doctors. He may do it through medicine. He may do it just... Poof, you're, you're healed. But it isn't because someone's shadow fell on you or you did a funny dance or you did some weird thing. It's because God in his mercy heals. God says, I, the Lord, am your healer. He's a deliverer. He's a God of, he's a God of deliverances. purpose here for these healings is to authenticate the gospel message more and more people coming to faith in Christ there's the summary of the aftermath really of God purifying his church in a very fearful way now you get to verse 17 and what you see here is the reality of persecution 
The reality of persecution for those in Christ. Here is the world persecuting Christ's church. The high priest rises up and all who are with him, which are the Sadducees, they're the ones who say there is no resurrection and they are filled with jealousy. They are envious. They feel their spiritual power in the sight of the people literally slipping through their hands like sand. So what do they do? Verse 18, they arrest the apostles. They put him in jail, in the public prison. That's all we hear about that at this point. Persecution is coming upon them. It's real. And they're in prison. And they're preach- they've been preaching the gospel. We know that. Now right away, you see God provide a rescue. You see God rescue his people out of persecution. You see the sovereign hand of God orchestrating human affairs so that more would hear of his mighty deeds because verse 19 says, during the night, an angel of God opened the prison doors. Okay, didn't need a lock, a key, just opened the prison doors and brought them out and, and spoke to them. Verse 20, go, stand in the temple. Now, There's a lot of um, irony in this passage. In fact, you could say there's a lot of humor here, probably. Okay, so they had been preaching in the temple. They've been preaching the gospel. They've already been told, stop doing this. Already been told, quit preaching Jesus, right? Okay, so now they, they get thrown in jail for preaching Jesus, and, and, and then an angel of God opens the prison doors and says, now you, you're going to go right back where you were and preach Jesus. You're going to go right back in harm's way. You're going to go right back in the middle of the persecution. Now, if you and I were figuring this whole thing out, what we would do is we'd say, hey, you've been preaching Jesus. You were told not to. Come on now. Behave. Okay? We're going to let you go. But go way out, far away from the temple. Don't go anywhere near the temple because if you do, you're going to get thrown in jail again or maybe worse, right? What does God do? In his infinite wisdom, he says to them, go back and do the same thing you were doing when you got arrested. I love it. Are you loving this? You love, I love the way God works. And he says to them, verse 20, go stand in the temple and speak. Speak to the people all the words of this life. He's telling them, go, go teach the word of God. Go preach the gospel. What an encouraging message from God. What an assurance from God. He's saying, I'm in charge of prison doors. And they will not stay shut if I want them opened. And they won't stay open if I want them shut. God's saying, I'm in charge of prison doors here. And they can't hold you if I don't allow them to. And hey, you're experiencing tough times. Trying things are coming your way because you're living faithful to me. So what we think is that if I live faithful to Jesus, I will have no problems. We think if if I live faithful to Jesus, that persecution will just melt away. God's telling them, you know what? I want you to know that in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of this trouble, in the midst of this trial, I am with you. I'm present with you. And I'm powerful in the midst. I'm powerful in you. I'm with you powerfully. Do you notice that they didn't didn't get completely free of persecution? You know what happens next. They get beat up. People want to kill them. So God puts them right back in the midst and says, you go do what you're called to do. I'll take care of the rest. And it's same for you and me in our lives. You can expect God's provision. You can even expect God's protection. But remember, his protection is not the same as our protection. 
We think protection means safe from all, away from all harmful influences. And what God says is, no, I will take you through them. I will be with you in the midst of them. So in your life right now, if you, the, the pain you are feeling, the frustrations you are going through that are very real to your heart, however small anyone might tell you they are, or however big you think they are, God is with you in the midst of those. He is powerfully present with you right now in the midst of your pain or trial or unsettling news that you just received and not sure how to sift it out. He's with you in your insecurity, in in your discouragement, and he's powerfully present with you. And what his answer is when we ask the question, so what should I do, is the same as what he's telling to the apostles. Go bless people with the word of God. Go bless people with my word. It makes perfect sense. You 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 are being comforted and assured by my word. Now go give that word to everybody else. You're finding comfort in the word, so give that same comfort to others. He says, give them all the words of this life. I love that phrase, all the words of this life. Make sense of everything going on in the world with the word of life that gives life. This is the consistent pattern we see in the book of Acts. They were into the word. They were devoted to the word. They stuck to the word just met someone recently that professes to be a believer and quite honestly gave me this admission. I don't read the Bible. Now this is a person that's actually very notable and is, is a, um, is a uh, I guess a somewhat famous athlete. And they said, my church even put up a video of my testimony. I'm like, that's awesome. But they made the honest assessment of their own life. They said, I don't read the Bible. And I had an ESV study Bible I've been holding on to, a really nice one. And I've been praying that God would put someone in my path that I could give it to. And I said to this person, I've got something for you. And I gave them this Bible. And they said, where should I start? And I said, why don't you start by reading the Gospel of John? And they said, is that in the Old Testament? Only in America. Only in America. Could a professing believer not know the word of God? It's our life. I remember being in college as a brand new believer, 1982, and I had my Bible, not this one, it was another one, but I had my Bible, uh, I would take it and put it under my desk all the time, and I remember thinking as I'm listening to professors that were very ungodly and and even against Christianity uh, hugely, I remember looking down and, and thinking to myself, my whole life, for the rest of my life, is wrapped up in that book. Everything inside that book, that's my life from here on out. So you need to read the Word of God and hear the Word of God and digest the Word of God. You need to consume mass quantities of the Word of God so that you will have something to give those who need to hear all the words of this life. It's not enough to say, well, Uh, In the moment, God's going to give me what I'm supposed to say because that's what Jesus said. Well, that's assuming that you know the word of God, that you're spending time in the word of God. Verse 21, what do they do? At at daybreak, they 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 are losing no time on this. The sun is coming up and they are in the temple teaching the word of God. Verse 21. Now, meanwhile, back at the prison, everyone thinks they're still there. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is like, you can't make this stuff up. Only God could, could orchestrate this kind of a thing. They're, everyone thinks they're still in the, pre- the prison, and the high priest reports for work. He shows up at the temple. He convenes the council. They're all ready, and they send to the prison to have the prisoners brought. But verse 22 tells us they're not there. They figure out they're not there. <laughs> And the prison's locked, and the guards are on watch, and no one's inside. Their cell is empty. Isn't this cool? 
this is okay the door's locked and the guards are on watch and no one's inside but it gets better they're all like going what's going on we don't know what's happening what happened did they like you know just poof gone and someone says verse 25 someone says um the men that you put in prison are in the temple teaching the people (laughs) so they're right where they were when when they got arrested I, i love it i just they're out there preaching in the temple and so verse 26 tells us the officers bring them and not by force because they're afraid of the people because they're teaching the truth and they put them in front of the council like the, in front of the whole tribunal and the high priest questions them and he says we told you not to talk about Jesus anymore and yet you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching see their power is just slipping through their fingers and they're like you've, you've just infected all of Jerusalem with this Jesus stuff And then he says this. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. How ironic. When Jesus was on trial before the cross, in front of Pilate, when they were literally saying, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? Do you know what they shouted? His blood be upon us and our children. Well, isn't it ironic? They're like, you're trying to bring this man's blood upon us. They're being indicted by their own words. They don't want to get blamed for something they should get blamed for. Kind of like you and me, right? We want to shift the blame. So if you, if, you, if you do the A plus B equals C equation that many of us usually do, you'd say, well, wait a minute. They were following Jesus, then they got persecuted, then they got rescued, so now everything, everyone lives happily ever after, right? Not so fast. See, this is lather, rinse, repeat, okay? So the persecution continues. So in the midst of God's miraculous provision, it isn't A plus B equals C here. It is we've got persecution, provision of rescue in the midst of persecution, and then more persecution, That's what you can expect when you live faithfully in Christ. And it's all in the providence of God. All in the providence of God. Verse 29, we see Peter and the apostles giving their answer. And if you know the Bible at all, you know this line. We must obey God rather than men. That's their answer. So they continue to risk. This is not a one-time thing. This is not a, hey, I'll go through this one persecution because God has given me a free pass the rest of my life. This is not a one-time thing. They continue to risk the proclamation of the gospel. They continue to risk their own lives for it. Great risk in proclaiming the gospel. By the way, I've been in places where they have told me, hey, pastor, we want you to pray before the city council, but the meeting but you can't say Jesus when you pray I've been in other settings where I've, I've been invited to preach and someone got mad because I was preaching Jesus and I'm thinking what did you expect someone once told me you baited and switched us I'm like I was invited to preach I'm a Christian I, I got Jesus in me I can't leave him home right so so here's what Peter does. Oh, by the way, I just heard of a church up north that was told by their city, you cannot open your church until 30 minutes before the service, and you can only meet on Sundays and Wednesdays. We're not going to allow you to do anything else. Hmm. Here's what Peter and the apostles answered. We must obey God rather than men. Now, what we would say is, well, you know, let's be reasonable. Let's be good citizens. Let's, let's keep our witness Let's, let's ditch Jesus so we can keep our witness. That's crazy. They, they did the right thing. We must obey God rather than men. And then guess what Peter does? I love it. They preach Jesus to the council. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Now, by the way, these people hate the name of Jesus. They have told them, 
Do not preach in the name of Jesus. In fact, we told you not to do it, and you're still doing it. This, this, this Jesus whom you killed, there's the guilt again, God exalted to his right hand as leader and savior, as Lord and deliverer. This, and, and, and then he tells them how good Jesus is and what he's giving. Now you'd think that people would just fall on their faces and worship God, right? He's telling them how good Jesus is and what he gives. Remember how the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many? Well, here's the result. It says that God exalted him as leader and savior to give repentance. These Jewish leaders always talk in repentance and to give forgiveness of sins. Well, they've been searching for forgiveness of sins their whole life, but they want none of this. And the apostles say, we are witnesses. Acts 1.8, anyone? We are witnesses. And so is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is testifying about these things that we're telling you. The Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. See, that's why this is happening. The Holy Spirit has indwelt the apostles. The Holy Spirit is inspiring the apostles, the Holy Spirit is empowering them to keep speaking about Jesus even though they were told not to. He can give you that same humble boldness. He can give you that same humble boldness to stand up and preach Jesus. You know, we as, as American Christians will, will talk till we are blue in the face about our opinions about literally everything except Jesus. Here's the persecution, 33. When they heard this, they were enraged. They're, they're negatively excited and they want to kill them. So now a murder plan is being hatched. This is what they're getting. Remember, God rescued them and he brought them right back into this. Now the persecution is going to reach its high point. It's, it's zenith. It's, it's, they're going to try to kill him, kill them. And God intervenes again. This time, though, through an unbeliever. There's a man named Gamaliel. He is a very trusted teacher of the law. He was in charge of the school of Hillel, which was the most conservative, well-known school of, of the Jews for rabbis. In fact, that's where Saul went to school. And he stands up and he says this, put him outside for a minute. Let's have a sidebar. Let's have a little, let's have a closed session here. And be careful what you do to him. And he tells the story of Thutis and Judas. I think he knew he was rhyming. Thutis claimed to be somebody, ended up being a nobody, died, had 400 followers, but that came to nothing. Judas the Galilean rose up, had some people coming after him too, but he died. They were all scattered, his followers. So verse 38 tells him, leave him alone. It's probably going to fail, people. If this is a man, it's going to fail. Then he says in verse 39, a bit of wisdom that they actually took. He says, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You won't be able to do it. You might be found even to be opposing God. Now, that, none of them wanted to be opposing God, so they take his advice, and his advice was pragmatic. It was not pro-gospel. He was not on Jesus' side. He was just giving them some, some good wisdom, good human wisdom. Now I want you to get something here. I want you to really remember it. In fact, if, if you have to, tattoo it on your brain or get it laser etched upon your heart, however it works for you. But here's what you need to remember. A movement started and sustained by God will never be overthrown. 
a movement started and sustained by God will, will not, cannot, never will be overthrown. Now, we're living in a very dangerous world. We all know that. And there are pockets, I'm going to call them pockets of presumed safety. Because most of the things we think of security and safety are a mere illusion. God holds all things together by the word of his power. And anything can happen at any moment. Even this morning, I woke up this morning, there was no electricity in my house. And then all of a sudden I hear, literally I can't, I looked out the window and I saw them, five orange police vehicles with sirens blaring, light flashing, rushing past my block. You know what I thought? Was there a terrorist attack? Let me check my phone. And, and by the way, don't laugh at me because you would have done the same thing if it was in your neighborhood. We are on, you know, hair trigger alert right now. And, and we do know this. Anything can happen at any moment. And it's very easy to feel vulnerable or under attack or open to attack. But what you see isn't always what you get. I'm going to repeat something that I've said before recently. If you're a believer, that in Christ you are invincible until God calls you home. You are invincible. You will not leave this earth one second early or one second late. He knows the days that he ordained for you before there was even one of them. Greater is he that is in you, Jesus, than he that is in the world, Satan. He will accomplish what concerns you, what he has providentially planned to happen. And so today, just think of your life right now. There is no fear. There is no discouragement. There is no unsettling news that you can receive that will take you from this earth even one millisecond before God has ordained it time. God has it. God has everything in his sovereign control. So therefore, you can trust him far more than you think you can. Back to the story, Gamaliel's advice was taken. They didn't kill the apostles. What you see next, verses 40 through 42, is you see the rejoicing of these suffering believers. They call them in and they beat them. I don't know if you've ever been beaten up, but no one would like that. I remember like being in the fourth grade and Ken Smith wanted to beat me up. And Joe Gonzalez, my buddy, beat him up instead. Boom! Punch to the nose. Rescued me. God didn't rescue them from this beating, though. They got beaten. So they're, they're coming out of there hurting, maybe bloody. I'm sure there's going to be bruises. And they're told, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And they, they let them go. And verse 41 tells us, they left the council rejoicing. In their pain, in their confusion, they are rejoicing because they considered themselves blessed. They rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. They knew they were nobodies who had been saved by the only somebody. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the only Savior. And so verse 42 tells us what they continued to do they didn't go move to another neighborhood. You know what they did? Every single day in the temple and from house to house, they kept on teaching and preaching that Jesus is Lord, that the Christ is Jesus. That's what they did. Do you, do you see the, 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 uh, the uniqueness of what God brought about? They get persecuted 
They get thrown in jail. God rescues them. He rescues them so that they can go back and do the same thing, and they get persecuted for that. And it's not going to stop here. By the way, this is not the end of the book of Acts. We're in chapter 5. We're just getting to the end of chapter 5. There's much more persecution to come. That's your life, by the way. That's your life. I don't know about you if you wonder about this, but I'm wondering what made them worthy to suffer. How could you be counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name? I think a lot of Christians would say, I don't want to be too spiritual. I don't want to walk too close to Jesus because then I'll be persecuted. That's a really risky thing to think. Here's what qualifies you to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Number one, if you belong to Jesus. And then if you live for him and you speak for him, you will suffer for him. You belong to Jesus, you live for him, you speak for him, you will suffer for Jesus. I think you need to remind yourself often that you belong to Christ. If you're a Christian, you're protected by God's power, you belong to Christ. I think, I think very easy for us to think that worthiness is something we earn. Your worthiness as a believer to suffer for the name of Christ was earned for you at the cross. Christ's blood bought that for you. You know, you watch people run a marathon. Maybe some of you have run a marathon. Everybody in the middle of a marathon wants to stop. They want to stop running. But then they're like, hey, there's 10 more miles to go. I got to keep going. The finish line is going to be in sight. Well, that's like living the Christian life. You want to give up. But you know that we have a future hope, that Christ in us and our hope of glory. And you feel like quitting, but the finish line is nearer now than when we first believed. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back with blessing for his own and judgment on unbelievers. And Jesus said, John chapter 5, there's an hour coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. If you've heard the gospel and you've believed, you live. He has been given authority to execute judgment. He even says he's going to take those who have done good to eternal life to resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment and you say well how do I inherit life believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved your good works won't get you there your bad works will send you to hell only Jesus can save you but if you belong to Jesus you will suffer for Jesus and then you live for Jesus, you relish the opportunity to follow Christ, well then you will experience what 2 Corinthians 5.15 says. That he died for you so that you would no longer live for yourself, but for him who died for you. Jesus died for you so that you wouldn't live for yourself, but for Jesus. And then you speak for Jesus. You, you refuse to back down. You refuse to be politically correct. You, you restate the gospel often to yourself and to your household and to your neighborhood and you stay stubborn when it comes to preaching the gospel. We American Christians get it so wrong. We will talk about sports and politics and even church. There's the quotes. Until we are blue in the face, but we won't talk about Jesus. We will leave him out of the public square. We will, we will soft pedal the gospel. We, we're afraid. We're, we're ashamed of the gospel. All I can say is, come on. Come on, people. Let's risk our lives for Jesus and the gospel. This is what the apostles did, and they were not super Christians. The writer of Hebrews even said, to, to normal everyday Christians. You joyfully uh, accepted the seizure of your property. You joyfully accepted your mistreatment because you had a better possession and one that abides forever. That's, that's, the, that's what a, a Christian should be thinking. Some of you are saying, wait a minute. As I bring this to a close, I just want to say this because I think a lot of you might be feeling this way. You might say, but I have failed so much in my relationship with God, I am not exhibit A of a person following Christ, and so I can't even think about being in that race. I went to a race yesterday, a cross-country race for CIF championships for high schoolers, and uh, as, I was, as I was walking by a group, there was a runner that couldn't run because they were injured, and they said something to the, the person standing next to them. 
Here's what they said. I can't wait till I get to run again. I loved it. They're at a race. They're watching everybody else run, and they said, I can't wait to get to run again. So if you are, if you are a failed Christian in your mind, I hope you can't wait to run again. And you can start running today. You can start running right now. Confess whatever sin you need to confess to God. Repent of whatever you need to repent of. Maybe there's a relationship that is just so hung up and so fractured and and you know it's just gnawing at you. Just reconcile. And 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 reconnect with the Lord so that you can so that you can suffer. Wouldn't you rather Peter said this, wouldn't you rather suffer righteously than for doing what's wrong? You're suffering right now because you're doing what's wrong. Suffer righteously for doing what's right. Let me close with this, 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. Lord God, thank you that this is our reality. Thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in suffering because following Christ involves joy and suffering. And that when we follow Jesus, he gives us joy in the midst of suffering. Lord Jesus, you are our greatest treasure. Lord God, we thank you that that your name is held in highest esteem. We want our hearts to hold your name in highest esteem. We, we even want to, know, we want to know what it feels like to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Lord God, by your grace, may we love you the most and live for your glory and long for your return. Be devoted to all that you want us to be devoted to. Be knowing that we're belonging to you and we want to live for you and speak for you and, and yes, crazy as it sounds to the world that we would also get the privilege to suffer for you. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.